Welcome to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. Brought to you by Present Truth Ministry, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. Praise God. Just a bit of um, concepts before I start. I kind of have a different perspective towards um, couples meetings. And um, one of the reasons is I see that most times, you know, when we gather for couples meeting, especially in church, what begins to happen is we begin to take the issues that are fruits, right? We begin to take issues that are fruits and we build cases around them or we try to build our teachings around them as opposed to dealing with the seed. Okay, because I, I remember sharing this handy with someone and um, they were asking me a lot of questions around the team and you know because most times couples programs there's a certain way it goes or there's a certain target carries which looks very appealing but one thing i have learned and i am learning gradually in life is as much as i can trying to stay with the teaching of god's word and what I mean by that is this. There are no two marriages that would ever be the same. That's the truth. There are no two marriages that would ever be the same. You see, but the fruits of the Christian life or the seed of the Christian life in every one of us is the same. You, you understand what I'm saying? So let me give you an example. Patience is the same for every one of us, regardless in quotes of who you get married to. And so, if I'm dealing with marriage, for instance, instead of teaching you how to do this, how to do this, I'd rather just teach you what the Word of God requires of you, and then we all make that adjustment. Because we all need different levels of adjustment. Alright? So, the first thing I want us to deal with is in, in our Couples Connect meeting is not, just with, is not just to deal with the fruits of the things in marriages, but rather let's examine the seed. Let's examine what exactly God's word says about this. And then as we are all looking at it, what happens is we take the part that concerns us and, does, and do what? And make that adjustment. So, in, in the series of meetings we're going to have today and any other time we have couples meeting, we're just going to stay on God's instructions to Christian households. Alright? And we're going to examine Ephesians chapter 5. So we're going to study it until we get to chapter 6. Is that okay? So that's going to form the framework for our teaching. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. And we are going to pick um, this particular class. Uh, my intention really is for it to run as a class, as opposed to just maybe we're doing you know, a program, right? It's a class that if you follow to the end, it will be able to build you. Alright, and I would encourage for those of us who are married, it, I would encourage you to come with your spouse. The reason is because both of you will hear areas you need to make adjustments. This is not a message that you say, okay, go and listen and come and tell me. You, of course, tell the person, you know, what you heard. But as we open ourselves up together, what happens? We hear the word of God and make the adjustments required. So we find out that the scripture, which is very important... The scripture teaches about marriage, but uh, in a way that sometimes the instructions of Jesus concerning marriage came because people asked certain questions. All right? And at other times, you find out that he was answering a question or dealing with an issue. But one of the persons who actually took a bit of time to write about the concept of marriage is the person of Paul. Now, it is interesting. It's, 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 it's interesting. It's interesting because there are two schools of thought. There's a school of thought that says, well, Paul didn't marry. Okay? And then there's another school of thought that says, Paul married, probably his wife died because he couldn't have gone up to that ranking, you know, with the Jewish law without getting married. Where whatever school of thought um, we believe in, 
it all ends up on the fact that within the time frame he was writing, there was no wife. <laughs> Did you get the point? So whether you believe that he didn't marry at all, or you believe he's married, his wife died early, whatever it is, you just realize that when Paul was writing, um, he didn't have a wife. Okay, because he mentioned that clearly when he was writing the epistles about, um, you know, not having a wife. Now, but when Paul teaches marriage, this is very important. When Paul teaches marriage, and this is where people miss it, he wasn't teaching marriage just because he wanted to teach marriage. He taught marriage and used marriage as an explanation for people to understand the mystery between God and uh, between Christ and the church. And that is very foundational. So, because what Paul was trying to teach is, he was trying to teach about the, our union with Christ and our relationship with Christ. And now goes on to say, it's just like a marriage situation and uses that. So, the framework of what Paul actually was teaching about is the union of Christ and man. Alright, but then uses marriage as what? As the basis or the framework to explain that. Now, what that also does to us, it gives us the theological background to what Paul was trying to talk about. And then Paul now addresses several areas in marriage. Now, the first thing is that most of our, and I like to say this, I'll just lay these markers. Today basically is introduction. We'll just deal with only three verses and then... We'll build up from there because I don't want us to rush. But I want to lay a marker. The first thing I want to say is this. Most marriage programs or most marriage teachings put a lot of responsibility on the wife. So the average thing is when you sit in a marriage seminar and you leave a marriage seminar, most of the action points goes to the woman. And if you study scriptures carefully, you will observe that really most of the action point in marriages goes to the man. Are you following this? Now, the greatest, remember what I said, what did I say at the beginning when I was starting, that when Paul was talking about marriage, what was he actually referring to? Christ and what? And the church. Don't forget that image. In our relationship between Christ and the church, who actually does a lot of the work? Who? Is it the church or Christ? It's Christ. Like I said, you know, you know me, I don't teach the way you hear it, so just, <laughs> just follow me. When Paul was teaching marriage, he wasn't just teaching marriage as, let me teach them about marriage. He used marriage to explain a deeper concept. And so, we cannot understand marriage truly the, the way God wants it without understanding the concept that Paul was teaching. It is that concept that explains marriage. Now, understand something. Marriage is not the institution of man. It has never been the institution of man. Marriage has always been God's idea. How many of you realize that marriage was never man's idea? Yeah? Adam did not... You know, like, ah, who do I marry now? Ah, I'm seeing a bamboo there. I'm seeing a cheap as in who, who, who. No, it was never. It was God that said, it is not good for man to be alone. I would make him what? A helper. You know, people call it helpmate, but the, the Amplified Version brings it out well. It says, a helper that is suitable for him. So, we must understand that Fine, fine, because we live in a society right now that is redefining marriage. And we must be careful of that. Because what is now happening is, economy is making us to redefine marriage. You now hear say, ah, in those days, it used to work. But now, in the 21st century, so, you see, it, it, it's almost like every generation is trying to do what? To redefine it to suit that generation. Are you, are, you, are you following what I'm saying? Now, but you find out that the truth of the matter is that we cannot redefine what we did not initiate. Praise God. We cannot do what? We cannot redefine what we did not what? Initiate. For instance, we have people in this meeting today who are visitors. They are not members of the local church. Alright? Imagine that one of them comes... And just feels that our arrangement is bad. And decide before the program starts 
to take this pulpit and put it there. What's going to be your response? Like, uh, what's happening now? Say, no, the pulpit is not good. And even if it's not good, do you understand? Even if it's not good that way, you don't have the authority to rearrange the church. The first one is number one. You are not even a member of the church. I mean, is that not what you're going to say? You're not even a member. So even if you're a member, for instance, you're not a pastor. Do you understand? So we cannot redefine marriage. The reason is because we were brought into marriage as participators, not initiators. We did not initiate marriage, so we cannot redefine. We cannot say this is how it will work now. No. The one who created it already has given us laid down principles of how in his divine mind, marriage and the Christian household should work and be governed. Is that okay? Now, so that is very clear. That we are not the ones that initiated marriage. And we must understand that marriage is under attack from both ends. From both liberal people who think right now marriage is about equality. There is no headship. It is whatever. You know, people keep sharing the percentage. Marriage is 50-50. Some people say marriage is 100-100. You keep hearing so many theories come out. Then another thing again is... Sometimes economic pressures are making us to redefine marriage. You know, sometimes all kinds of things are just constantly making us to redefine it. The first thing I want to say here, and which is very key, is this. Marriage is God's idea. And the home, listen very carefully, the home is where the kingdom of God starts from. I'd like to say that again. The home is where the kingdom of God starts from. That's where the kingdom is practiced. Are you still with me? Okay. Now, I don't want to go too far, but you realize that in one of the criterias, right, one of the criterias of who can be an elder or a deacon or a pastor in the church, come on, what's one of the criterias? A man who is able to do what? To manage his household. So the truth of the matter is that, you see, what has happened is that in our society, we have accepted all kinds of, we have accepted all kinds of, how do I put it, all kinds of theories to the point we don't want to follow God's instruction. Because the truth of the matter is that before you are to assume a leadership position in church, if we have to follow the scriptures, we have to look at your house. How are you governing your house? The Bible is clear on it that if a man cannot govern his house, how will he be able to do what? To govern the church of God. Which actually means that your, your, your test of leadership, capacity, whether as a man especially, starts from your home. It, it is, is there, that's the criteria. Are you following this? That is why, this is my personal opinion now. I'm not, I'm not, this is not scriptures. This is me. When I go back to scriptures, I'll let you know. That's why I personally do not ordain people into leadership in church if you don't find the family consistent in church. I don't do that. So I can't have the man come, the wife is somewhere. and No, 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 no. Why? Because one of the key criteria that the scripture recommends is that we are able to see how well you do what? You govern your house. Okay, so the kingdom is expressed beginning from where? Our family. Do we have this in the Old Testament? Absolutely. God spoke to Abraham. He says, I know Abraham will be able to command his children to walk in my way so that I'll bring the covenant to pass. So God understood Abraham to be able to provide that leadership and that governance within his house. Praise God. Now I want to say this. I'll pause to say this. And we're going to move in there, but I just want to say this. Listen, one of the things you must, you, one of the things you must learn from the very beginning is to, able to, to be able to have a united house. 
Because what we realize right now is that we are having, we are having homes where it is almost like the wife can decide. Do you understand? It can be, okay, I don't like this one. Okay, I like this one. Okay, do what you like. I'll do what I like so that there might be peace. That's not peace. That's division. That's diplomacy. That's not, that's not kingdom. That's not kingdom. And unconsciously, we relinquish authority, we relinquish leadership, all because in quotes, we have in our mind a type of peace that is not scriptural. It's like, so what you have, if you want to relate it to Christ and the church, is like carnal believers. Who are carnal believers? Carnal believers are believers who have subjected themselves to the leadership, who have um, accepted the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. You know, they say, the Lord is my Lord, but actually go on and live the, the, the way they want. See, they are not spiritually matured Christians, because spiritually matured Christians will follow the Lord wherever He leads. Okay, so Paul begins to paint this picture and begins to address these issues from Ephesians chapter 5. So let's read from verse 1. But where we're going is verse 21. But we're going to read from verse 1, because we must pick it up in context. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Understand the first phrase that Paul starts with. Now, you must understand that although Paul is going to be ending up with a discussion about Christian household, he begins, the, he begins that conversation with a line. He says, be imitators. That word imitators in the Greek is the same word that looks like mimicking. You know, when your child mimics you, when he tries to mimic what you're doing. So, he's trying to say, imitate God as beloved children of God. Now, understand, Paul in verse 21, is going to start dealing with marriage, but he starts the conversation in verse 1 with the role model that we have to imitate. Do, 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 do you understand what Paul is doing now? Now, Paul is going to talk about marriage, but he starts the conversation here and saying, listen guys, be imitators of God. So, from the onset Paul already points to us the model we're going to look at. Okay, then he goes on to say in verse 2. And walk in love. <laughs> Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or impurity or any impurity, I'm using the New American Standard Bible, or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So you realize what Paul is doing. Now Paul is addressing the issues of sexuality. That's what he addressed first before he moves on to, um, on to the marital conversation. But you understand what Paul is saying right now. The first thing Paul did in the first two verses was to point to us the picture of God and the picture of Christ. So Paul points to us in the first two verses the ultimate picture that is going to be our ultimate benchmark in this conversation. Right? So he doesn't talk about man. He doesn't talk about anybody. He points, he points very straight and says, listen, be imitators of God. Walk in love. Right? Right? It says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, and offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Now, Paul is about to talk about marriage, but he points us to God as our ultimate aim, and then he points us to the love walk, walking in love as Christ loves the church. Then he points us to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the walk of redemption. Now, he pulls back and says, but immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you, comma, as is proper among saints. So you see, Paul is addressing a character issue here, but he recognizes the fact that these people are saints. So while Paul is addressing an imperfection, he also still is able to speak to them as people that are believers. 
You see, so let me, go, let me just pause here to say this. That is to say, listen, even within the context of your marriage, there might be crises, there might be issues. Alright? But we must not forget that we are sons of God. So, in, in, in dealing with a marriage like that, what happens? You know that this issue is coming up, this issue is coming up. But listen, listen guys, we're saints. This should not happen. Are we together? We acknowledge it. We say, no, this should not happen. Come on, guys. We're saints. This thing should not be named among us. Okay, it has been named. That's the final thing. It shouldn't happen again. Why? You see, Paul is careful that while he's pointing to the flaws and the impurities, he is not losing fact of the, uh, he's not losing the fact that these guys are saints in Christ. So he goes on to say, And there must be no filthiness, or silly talk, or cause jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Now, I don't want to build, I don't want to build on this, because I'm going somewhere, maybe we'll come back to that. But you know what, you know what, everything Paul has listed in verse 3 and verse 4 are things that have the capacity to destroy homes, to destroy any marriage. Greed. Greed. You know, sometimes it can be shocking that you find couples and one is so greedy. And they are supposed to be couples. One is always protective of the money. My money, my money, my money. And, and they are couples. They ought to be. I mean, of course, immorality is, is, is clear. Impurity is, is clear. Filthiness, silly talk. Communication that does not edify. Talking down your wife. You know, sometimes we don't find it hard to talk down on our spouse. Coerced jesting, jokes that, you know, it looks like you're joking, but you're actually slicing the other person down. Paul begins to address this, begins to pick all of this, and goes on to say, they are not fitting. So what, is, what Paul is trying to say is that even though these things are existing, that's not you. That's not who you are supposed to be. This does not fit you. This is not you. Then he says, For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So you see, Paul is addressing two set of people here, and he talks about the wrath of God that comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Verse 8, For you were formerly... Darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So Paul recognizes your past life. Because this is very important that sometimes the tendencies we had before we, we, we came to Christ, if we don't deal with them in terms of the renewal of our mind and making that adjustment, the tendencies to fall back is there. So it deals with that. It says, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Like I said, I just want to use this session to lay a foundation. Wow. <laughs> okay. Verse what? I'm just looking at the time. It's like someone is just whining the time. I can't believe. And I just started talking. Trying to learn. <laughs> What is pleasing to the Lord. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. So we must also understand that this whole conversation we're going to have is like what? A learning process. Let me tell you this. You will never know marriage, and listen very carefully to me. No marriage in this world. Go back to verse 9. No marriage in this world, and I say this categorically, will fail if you have these three components. If you have goodness, if there's righteousness, and if there's truth. If you have these three things in your marriage, it doesn't matter, <laughs> it doesn't matter the storms that come. It will, it will withstand it. Whenever there is any crisis, 
If you check, one of these things is being affected. Is that righteousness has been affected? Goodness, which talks about how you relate to one another, or speaking the truth. Now, let's go on. Like I said, these are just the fruits. Alright? I want to deal with the seed. And maybe if God permits, we'll come back here. Say, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11. Do not participate in your fruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Verse 12. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Verse 13. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. This is interesting. So it's almost like saying everything that becomes visible can be dealt with. Light can come into that thing now. If you bring it from the secret and bring it to the open, then it can be, it can be what? It can be dealt with. That's why you never make a headway in marriage if you don't have an open conversation. Once the conversation is open, then it can be solved. Is that, is that okay? Say amen if you're here. Alright. Verse 13. For this reason, it says, Awake sleeper and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Why did he say arise from the dead? It was, it was, it's almost like he was talking to carnal Christians. He didn't say you are dead. He says arise from the dead. What it means is, listen, you're not supposed to be among those dead people. Come out from them. Let Christ shine on you. Let the light of God's word shine on you. Now go on. He now says, and Christ will shine on you. Arise from the dead. Walk out from that. Now verse 15 says, Therefore, be careful how you work, not as unwise men, but as wise. Now begin to pay attention. We're getting to to verse 20 now. Making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Verse 17. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18. Follow this now. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now this is important, because Paul now talks about us imitating Christ. Paul talks about all the things that should not be named among us. Paul tells us to start walking in a way pleasing to the Lord. And you know the next thing Paul began to talk about? About being filled with the Spirit. Why is Paul taking this conversation to this dimension of being filled with the Spirit? Because now, instructions are going to come regarding the Christian household that can only be carried out by the Spirit. So, listen carefully. We always try to teach people in marriage, do this, and do this, and do this, and do this. But you see, they find it difficult. The reason is because they haven't allowed themselves to be filled with the Spirit. Because the instructions, listen carefully now, the instructions we're about to read now cannot be possible just by your own will. So, instead of saying, do this, do this, do this, what's the key thing? Be filled with the Spirit. Let me give you an example. A man that is born again, a child of God, you know, and wants to please God. Even if things go wrong, he makes a mistake or something happens or there's a crisis in the home, there's quarrel and everything. Do you know that if that man is fellowshipping with God, God will be able to speak to him and say, come on guy, you were wrong, go and apologize to your wife. How many of you know that without the man being filled with the Spirit, that would be a difficult decision? You know, there are people that even when they are wrong, instead of them to say sorry and apologize and acknowledge their sin and confess, they will buy cars, they will do, they will do everything but acknowledge the fact that I'm wrong. And then you now find people say, you know, I know my husband. It's difficult for him to say sorry. When he wants to say sorry, he now starts washing the plate. Listen, listen, listen very carefully. That's not scripture. Are you following what I'm saying? Are you hearing what I'm saying? You see, it is not Bible. What you are dealing with, Oga, is pride. It is not that I don't know how to say sorry. So, instead of saying sorry, you now wash the plate. So, when, when your wife comes home and see, even where there are no cobwebs, you have cleaned everything, the house is shiny, he says, he has apologized. No, no, he hasn't. He hasn't. He hasn't. Because what you are dealing with is the pride to acknowledge that I am wrong. What you are doing is what, um, what the Lord said to, to who now? Um, obedience is better than sacrifice. Who is it? Saul, right? Saul. That's what God told him. He said, obedience is better than sacrifice. It's, it, it's not about sacrificing these animals. I wanted you to do this. So, when the Lord confronts you and says, listen, you have hurt your wife. What you should do is say, I'm sorry, I, I, I feel I have hurt you, and I'm wrong about it. I acknowledge that, and I'm sorry. It is not that you wash plates, you buy dry fish, you give her money for market, you buy shoes. No. 
what you are doing is covering the pride. Do you understand what I'm saying? Remember verse 1. What does verse 1 say? Imitate Christ and imitate God. Are we understanding this now? Okay. Is it because most of us, and I agree with one of my mentors used to say, most of the things we teach sometimes that makes marriage work is good, but those things are not the seed. Buy flour, you know, and do this. What about if you don't have money to buy flour? Does it mean that you cannot have a good marriage if you are poor? You can, if you have the fruit of the Spirit. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? Let me, let me backtrack a bit. Do you realize that some of our grandparents had very solid marriages? Do you know why? Do you know why? It's very simple. They exhibited the fruit of the Spirit without knowing it was the fruit of the Spirit. They didn't, they didn't go out. They didn't... There was no restaurant. There was no flour to buy except vegetables. <laughs> Do you realize that? So, but what happened? There was a disposition. The Bible calls it the inward man of the heart. There was a disposition they brought into marriage that by the time they started working on that, it stabilized them. But our generation has all the technology, order online, buy burger, buy this, buy this, and the marriage is still as fragile as it can be. The reason is because we haven't dealt with the real man. We haven't dealt with the inner man. I believe that by the Spirit of God, there is no attack that comes on a marriage that if both parties are filled with the Spirit, filled, listen, filled with the Spirit, that the Lord will not help them get the victory. That's the truth. Praise God. Are you still here? Okay. So it goes on to say, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. But remember that, Colossians tells us about letting the word of God dwell in us richly. Okay? So if the word of God dwell in us richly, uh, that's how we get filled with the Spirit. Now, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And, so he adds this now. Now, now, I was trying to study this, but I didn't have enough time to go through it. But, Theologians say that this block of statement is one whole statement in the Greek. It's, it's divided into several verses, but it's actually one whole statement. If you were to write it out in Greek, it's, it's, it's actually one whole statement. Now it says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, this is very important. Paul talks about being filled with the Spirit. He talks about being filled with the Spirit, and then he goes on to the subject of submission. Now, let me give you an example. If typically we want to talk about marriage, right? If we typically want to talk about marriage, let's say we want to have a typical marriage seminar, where do you think we're going to start from very quickly? Ephesians 5. 22. Right. Where are we going to just start from? Ephesians 5.22. And what does Ephesians 5.22 say? Just put 22 for me first. What does Ephesians 5.22 say? Wives, be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. Now, I'll ask you one question. The fact that we have just patiently in the last 30 minutes dealt from verse 1 to verse 21, does it give you perspective to this verse now? Gives you a lot of perspective. Gives you a lot of perspective. Because Paul does not address wives until he has addressed every one of us. Right. Yeah, verse 21. Go back to verse 21. Look at what Paul says. Paul says in verse 21, Ephesians 5, 21, And be subject to what? One another where? In the fear of Christ. So the first thing that Paul deals with is mutual submission. So the problem we have is, we have people, we have men especially in church, who want their wives to submit, but they want verse 22, and they haven't lived verse 21. 
Because to be honest, every one of us here growing up, unconsciously and consciously, verse 22 is always in our head. Even when you are not married, you, you, you can't, even people that are not married know that the Bible says, wife submit. But they don't know that the Bible says, we should submit one to another, where? In the fear of Christ. So the first thing Paul deal, deals with is yourself. Knowing fully well that if I'm going to get married to my wife, as a believer, I have already learned the act of submitting. So submission is not learned in marriage. It has to be something you have before you get married. That's where the problem is. So if, if within the context of the local church, I've learned to submit to my brother, he's learned to submit to me, I've learned to submit to my sister, she's learned to submit to me. When I go into marriage, I will already be practicing what I have been practicing before. It will not be difficult. Are you getting what I'm saying? So, we cannot talk about Christian marriage without first addressing the issues of are people actually really born again? Because what you find out is people taking verse 22 and pushing it on people who actually have not started living from verse 1 to verse 21. They are not imitating Christ. They are not working in the love of Christ. They haven't taken impurity out of their life. Are you following what I'm saying? They still have filthy and coarse joking in their, in their, in their, in their tongue. They are not filled with the Spirit. They are not speaking to, to one another in spiritual songs and hymns. They are not edifying one another. They are not submitting to one another. Bam! They jump into marriage and say, now it's time for you to submit. He can't. He does not have the capacity. Because submission cannot be compelled. It has to be the life of Christ. You see, these words are very strong words. Go, go back home. I give you the, this word. Go back home and use your dictionary to, to look at the meaning of the word subject. Go, go and look at it. It's not a, it's not a nice word. Look, just <laughs> are you, does anybody have a dictionary here? If you have a dictionary on your phone, bring it up for me. Look, open the word subject if you have a dictionary. And let's, let's look at it. You know, you see, we must begin to be patient with this thing called scriptures. Are, are you following? Let's not just, if the Bible says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. What does it mean to be subject to one another? Is it possible that if we can learn this early in life, it will be easy for us in our marriages? How do we become subject to one another? And you know, this has to do with the act of God helping your will. You remember the other instructions Paul gave. Consider one another's interest. You know, and you know, it's almost like Paul is teaching us that if you've got this character of being able to relate to one another because of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, then it's not easy for us to begin to talk about the subject of marriage. Because sometimes when you look at, at the crisis that is hitting marriage and all that, you realize that it is the fact that the basics of the Christian faith are not kept. Things like unforgiveness, things like loss, things like and all kinds of stuff. So if a man will keep the basics of the faith, it will be easy. How I many of you agree with it? You, you, you see where I'm going with this. So, the first thing we have to deal with is this issue of have we learned to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ? Have we learned that? Does anybody have it? Yeah, okay, sorry. Let me just. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay, so we have several definitions of this, right? So you said we should use what? Four, four, five, six. Okay. Yeah, I also think, okay, four, five, six. So we can talk about the theme of a sermon, book, or story, which talks about, you know, that subject. Five, the principal melodic motive or phrase in a musical composition, especially in a fugue. Then, I like a person who is under the dominion or rule of a sovereign place. Now, essentially, why I like that seven is essentially, 
Even though we teach being subject to one another, there is a framework of sovereignty. That's, that's what I'm looking at. There is a framework of sovereignty. When we read verse 22, I'll talk about it. Because it only tells us that this being subject to one another always comes within a context. So you, you observe, thank you, you observe that he never talks about this without mentioning Christ or God. I, I, are, you, are you following this now? So it says, be subject to one another in the fear of what? Christ. Why? Because Christ is that sovereign rule. So I'm not just subject to you because you have more money than me, because you are the man, and if I'm not subject to you, I will not have anybody to marry. I am doing this because of who? Christ. Remember verse 1. Okay, let's read verse 2 to become clearer. Let's read verse 2 to become clearer. So it says, Wives, be subject to your own husband. Wives, be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. So here, Paul began to personify the conversation. In, I like the amplified version. Look at the amplified version, if you have it. It says, Wives, be subject to your own husband as a service to the Lord. So you see why I talk about the concept of being subject? You cannot talk about this without Christ or God in that. It says, Wives, be subject to your own husband as what? As a service to the Lord. So, this woman understands that what I am doing is not in quotes. This is not, I'm not just doing this to keep my marriage. I'm actually serving the Lord. This disposition of being subject to my husband is an act of service to God. Why? Remember where I started. That in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul did not start this discussion without talking about our imitation of God. And walking in love and talking about the dead burial and resurrection of Jesus. So what Paul was addressing actually, he was addressing believers in Christ who have come to value the sacrifice of Jesus to say that, listen, this is the disposition of Christ. So if I'm submitting to you, I'm not submitting to you just because you are my husband and you paid my diary or my bride price. I'm submitting to you because it's also an act of service to Christ. So actually, it is my worship. It is part of my worship to Christ. And then that also now changes what we actually mean by that whole concept. So, you're not doing it just to keep your marriage. You're not doing it just because he's a man. You're not doing it just because he's the one that made you missus when you were miss. No. This thing is about worship to God. Why? Because in verse 21, he had already told us that we should be subject one to another. So, for instance, in a local church like this, why should I be subject to my brother? I mean, he's not paying my bread price. You understand what I'm saying? Or subject to my sister. So, you understand that this thing is not just within the context of keeping marriage. It is actually a lifestyle of the believer that when he takes it, when he or she takes it into marriage, now sustains the flow. As opposed to using it as a, as a tool or as a technique or as a wisdom key. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? So, the subject of being subject to your husband or being submissive to your husband is not a key in marriage. Do you get what I'm saying? It's not the master key of marriage. Actually, it is supposed to be the flow of the divine life that you already have that naturally comes to you. Are, we, are you still here? Go to first Peter. We'll come back here. Our time is running so fast. First Peter, chapter three, verse six. First Peter three six. First Peter chapter three verse six. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. First Peter three six. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Are you still there? Okay, 
Can we read from verse 3? First Peter chapter 3. No, sorry, from verse 1, quickly. First Peter 3, verse 1. I like, I like this. Remember where we stopped in Ephesians. So come back here. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husband. Do you realize that the word of God always uses the word your own husband? <laughs> you know why? Because you know sometimes it's easy to be submissive to other people than your own husband. And then Paul wasn't encouraging you to just be submissive to everybody else there. Okay? Let's say your own husband. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. So Paul, remember why, why I paused here to come here. Paul actually begins to interpret submission as a way of life. That if, even if the man is not born again, by the way you are, they will actually be warned by your behavior. That means it tells us that the, the, this concept of submission is teaching us from the word of God now, has the capacity to even change people who are not born again. Because you know from day one that I'm doing this as a service to Christ. Praise God. Now, as they observe your chaste and respectable behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. Right? <laughs> it's amazing that Peter talks about this, but most times when we sit down to talk about marriage, this is what we talk about. Right? Dress well. You know, make sure you dress well so that your husband will not look outside. And I must say this, I find that a very shameful statement coming from the pulpit. Like Paul said, it shouldn't be mentioned among us. You can't say that because your, your, your wife does not dress well. That's why you are looking outside. No. Your looking outside is sin. Do, 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 you, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Come on, are we together? A believer should not be looking outside. So, you, you see, we try to justify our behavior by saying, so you now find old women struggling to go to the gym, wearing tights. You look at the woman and say, oh, this woman is 50. She's still wearing miniskirt. Why? I don't want my husband to look outside. You see, all the laps are dry. But oh, the man must not look outside. The man must not. You see, lipstick is falling from the skin. The woman is struggling to keep her body together. Yeah, the man must not look outside. No. You, you, you are counseling people and say, and don't do this. So that, you see, the, that's what I'm saying, that we are addressing the fruits. The seed is that there is the seed of adultery in you. Deal with it. It is not whether the woman is wearing this or wearing that. Are you following what I'm saying? So, we must not raise a generation that believes that it is the externals that keep us. Are, are you following what I'm saying? Our own parents that didn't have makeup, I mean, they didn't have makeup, they didn't have gym. They stayed together. It wasn't even an issue for some of them. Even, even for some of them that the African traditional religion allowed polygamy. Nobody would have told them they were sinning. So most of them were content with one woman. No issues of infidelity. Or that. You know why? Because they had already set their hearts that this is my wife. So we cannot now start teaching a generation that, oh, it's because you are not dressing well. You know, young girls right now. I mean, you, and you hear that. You hear that being taught. Ah, if you are not careful, young girls will take your husband. And then the men are saying, tell them, tell them, tell them, let them know. No, no. What we are doing, listen carefully, what we are doing is indirectly endorsing adultery and putting pressure on women to try to become younger in a bid for us not to go out. And so by the time somebody goes out, the question is, and were you cooking for him? Ah, what were you wearing when you are cooking? Ah, don't be wearing all these things. Wear nightgown even in, in the afternoon. You give him sex anytime he asks for. No, no, that's not the concept. I, I, are you following what I'm saying? So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's been my struggle with teaching marriage, nobody, because... <laughs> As I study the scriptures and I hear what people teach, sometimes I ask myself, are you serious? Are you really serious? Then you now ask yourself, with all of those that we do, our divorce rate is still high. So what exactly is the problem? This is what I'm talking to you about. 
that there is the seed of the Christian household that we all need to pay attention to. That if a man starts feeling like, my wife is not slim enough, that's why I'm looking outside, then the man now first comes and acknowledges and says, listen, the seed of adultery is in my heart. Help me, God. Are, are you following? By the time he has dealt with that, we can now start saying, okay, madam, just try, eh? just try dress well. Do you understand? Because you know what? No matter how well you dress, there will also be younger people coming. Will you, I mean, will you go and now? Do you, do you so we must, as men, admit that, listen, oh, this issue is not the issue about what men or women, what the women are wearing. This is an issue of lust in our heart that we must what? Deal with. And if we open ourselves to the Lord, then the Lord helps us to deal with it. Are you following this now? Come on, I said, are you following this? Alright, okay. So, it goes on to say, your adornment must not be merely external. So, no, I want to emphasize here again, he did not criticize it. So, we must be clear on that now. We must be clear on that. There's nothing that says earrings will take you to hellfire or wearing gold is bad or that's just trash. That's for people who, that's for tired preachers who are eating and they are just tired. Alright? So, he says, but it must not just be that. Merely external. Braiding of the hair, wearing gold in jewelry or putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious, where? In the sight of God. So Peter begins to pull us to something here and says, listen, there is a quality that is precious in the sight of God. And he identifies that as a gentle and quiet spirit. And Peter is saying, listen, go to work on that thing. That is the one that is imperishable. That one does not die. It does not grow old. Now go on, he says, For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God. Who hoped in God. Now, understand this. They hoped in God. So, remember Ephesians 1. I'll, I'll, I'll stop shortly so if possible we can take a few questions. But remember Ephesians 1, right? Remember the conversation. It started with what? Imitate God, right? Imitate God. What is Peter saying? What is Peter saying? Hey, come on, guy. Verse 5. For in this way, in the former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God... Used to adorn themselves. How? Being submissive to their own husband. So, you, can you see how... Can you see how now that what Paul was dealing with in Ephesians chapter 5 is what Peter is dealing with. But Peter now gives us another perspective to it. He says, these women hoped in God. And because they hoped in God, meaning that they were doing it because of their faith in God. Does this tally with what we studied in Ephesians chapter 5? Yes. That it is not just a technique for marriage. <laughs> it is not the master key to marital bliss. No. This is actually a lifestyle that is pursued by people who make God their source. So, you tell yourself that, listen, I am going to be submissive, not just because of your attitude, but I know that this is a service to God. So, what are you anchoring your submission on right now? Your faith in God. Are you following what I'm saying? I learned this from one of my mentors many years ago and it blessed my life. He says, listen, I'm loving my wife not because she is a good person. I'm loving my wife because Christ tells me to love her. You know what that, that mindset will do for you? You know what that mindset will do for you? Her attitude cannot make you stop loving her. How many of you think if we made those kind of commitments we'd have stronger marriages? That like, you didn't cook today, you will see. By the time I finish with you, you know that my grandfather did not give birth to a goat, gave birth to a lion. And then you now discover that in a home, everybody's releasing tactics. You are withdrawing money, she's withdrawing sex. You are doing, and before you know, you will even be amazed at yourself that how the two of us meet. That's when you start cursing the day you met. All because we are trying to do things for people because they earn it or they don't earn it. As opposed to 
I'm going to obey God and put my faith in God. And live the way the word says. Because I tell you something, the truth of the matter is that some of the people we married don't, in quote, deserve that we should live with them the way the word of God says. But you know one thing? That's why it's important that before you get married, you should learn the truth of God's word. Because if you can make the right choice, it will reduce your prayer points. It will reduce the drama. Are you following what I'm saying? I mean, like I tell people, marry somebody who is willing to change. Marry somebody who loves God. That even in the midst of crisis can say, listen, I value God. I'm willing to make this adjustment. I'm willing to go for the word of God. I'm, if you can marry, that's something I loved about David. I don't con- condone his lifestyle. But one thing I like about David so much is the fact that, listen, the guy says, when he came to the time, he said, should I put you in the hands of your enemies or in the hands of God? He said, put me in the hands of God. The guy loved God so much that even when he sins, he runs back to God and says, listen, God, I don't have anybody but you. That purity of heart would sustain anyone. Praise God. Wow. Okay, let me just, uh, let me just finish this. Then I think maybe, I'll, I was thinking I would be able to deal with headship today, but... Uh, let's go. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who walked in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husband. Verse 6. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Calling him Lord. And you have become her children, if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. He says, Sarah called Abraham Lord. What does that word mean? Call Abraham Lord. A man that couldn't father children. <laughs> Call Abraham Lord. A man that got up one day and said, God has called me to this land. Call Abraham Lord. A man that says, listen, when we go to that land, I don't know if the king will want you. But if they tell you, say you are my sister. Ah, some women will go, am I mad? How will I say no sister? So if the man marries me, you know, I was just thinking about this when I was studying this. If I was Sarah, after coming from Abimelech's house, I won't go back to your house again. I mean, do you realize what happened there? The, the guy said, you are my sister. And the king literally took her. And the Bible says the king wanted to sleep with her, except God prevented him. And then, the next day, the king had to warn the man. And then you now came back and you still continued. You know, what actually happened there is that the man had literally put a... Put Put Sarah up for sale. <laughs> for his own, for fear. He said, if not, they will kill me. So the man really like, I mean, yeah, I don't mind. I don't want to die. But look at that. Look at that. So Sarah called him Lord. This is tough. Then he says, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor. Look at that word. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. He says, to sum it up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. We're going to deal with that. But do you see right here that the scripture talks about the man showing the woman honor? As what? It is as a fellow heir of the grace of life. This is big. Because now, he calls that even though he's pointing out Sarah to us as an example of the one who calls Abraham Lord, he now points out Abraham to us as an example of the one who honors Sarah as a fellow heir of grace. Can you see huge responsibility on both parts now? And God is saying, listen guys, You've got to honor this person. And you see that if we begin to deal with these issues critically in our heart, I really don't want to rush this whole marriage stuff. We'll, I mean, regardless of how many parts it takes us, no matter how slow, it, these are not things to rush. It's not like we need to finish today. We don't need to finish. <laughs> Praise God. So I, I want to pause here because it's, it's, it's almost time to close. But what are we establishing today? We're just establishing the foundation for our discussion. Praise God. And I want you to go back and think over these things. And think over these things. Alright? So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Let me look for somewhere to close it up that we can pick up from. Okay? So let's close it up with the issue of wives. The subject to your husband as to the Lord. Then 
our next conversation, we'll pick it up from verse 23. And we'll define the, we'll talk about this, the issue of the head. So, it says, wives, be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. So, we find out that, that, that in that first Peter that we read, that Ab- um, Sarah recognized Abraham as Lord. In quote, like the earthly Lord. Why? Because she hoped in God, who is the heavenly Lord. And then the response of Peter is saying, listen, you need to honor this person as an heir of grace. And then Peter now was very clear to point us to the areas that we need to focus in. The imperishable quality of a quiet and meek spirit. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We pray, Father God, you spare about this message that as it goes forth into the nations of the earth, that it will transform homes, it will bless marriages. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would also like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng or call 